the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into the second hour. I always get a little bit nervous. This is my third time, I think third or fourth time I've interviewed uh, the gentleman who I'm about to reintroduce to you and also delighted to welcome to the show his son. Uh, Dr. Uh, Shelby Steele, Professor Steele, is one of the great world-class intellectuals who meant a ton to me and still does. I remember his uh, early book, The Content of Our Character, roughly 89, 90, somewhere around there. It changed almost everything in the discussion about race in America. It is a delight to welcome back Dr. Shelby Steele, author of, among other things, White Guilt, How Blacks and Whites Together Destroyed the Promise of the Civil Rights Era, along with his son, Eli Steele, a renowned filmmaker. Gentlemen, um, Christmas comes early to me uh, for having you both here. Welcome back to the show, Doctor, and Eli, welcome for the first time. Well, thank, thank you, you, you very much you for bet. having both of us. You betcha. You betcha. Let me do this, Eli, uh, first-time guest. Uh, give the audience a little autobiographical sketch of yourself. Uh, introduce yourself to the audience, however you may like. Uh, first, thank you for having me. Um, I'm, I'm a filmmaker, and I've been making films for about um, 30 years now. Um, narrative films, short films, and lately for the last... Um, 12 years, I've been focused exclusively on documentaries. I worked for Fox for, um, for the last two years and made about um, 20 short documentaries with them. And now I'm excited to be working on a new documentary with my father. This is a documentary on the book White Guilt, is that correct? Yes, and um, we're going to make it more biographical this time on, on my father. It really tells the story. Uh, it, it, it's really like a biography of my father in a way because he's always had this desire and this dream to become an American. And, you know, for the first 20 years of his life, as he wrote in the book, segregation, white supremacy prevented him from becoming an American. And um, after the 60s, there was a brief period where he was able to, that's the colorblind era, where he was able to really be an American. And um, so this film is really about what happens after the 60s, because we have four centuries of oppression, and then you have, you can have your fallout, right? And one of the big fallout was white guilt, the need of whites who believe that they were innocent of racism. And so my father, you know, in the 80s, all of a sudden found himself being pushed back into the black box. And the question is why? And so we wanted to sort of examine how dangerous the force is, how it transformed America from the 60s to today. So that's what the film would be about. Thank you. Shelby, uh, Dr. Steele. Uh, you're uh, still a teacher, you're still a professor, grade your son, and <laughs> grade me on how we are understanding this project as well, how, how, how you see it for me. Well, it's, uh, we, we hope it, it, it works. It goes, we hope that it goes beyond the, the book, White Guilt. Yeah. 
um, is it's a tough title to work with because it throws people immediately on the defensive. Okay, and we we don't mean it to do mean to do that. It's not an accusation, um, but on the other hand, a single nation like the United States cannot go through four centuries of, of slavery, Jim Crow, of, of indulgence, really, in racism, then I think very courageously come to terms with that and understand the, the immorality of that and so forth, and then move ahead uh, as though, well, we're glad we learned that lesson, it's, we'll, we'll move on to the next. Uh, and that it, 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 history just just does not work that way. The sin, the original sin of America was was racism, and it did terrible things. Uh, and yet, it is also true that this is the greatest country that ever exi- has ever existed. Uh, what white guilt is is really we couldn't really have white guilt until America had opened up and acknowledged uh, its indulgence in racism. Uh, and so we, we're, we're grateful for that. But the, the, there, it comes with this guilt, this sense if, if you were born white in America and have nothing whatever to do with racism, you still are somehow accountable for this history. And my sense this this knowledge of uh, having committed this sin uh, puts whites in a very vulnerable situation and compromises them because they have to then be on the defensive and spend time defending themselves against the charge of racism and creating ideas like systemic racism. And and all of this uh, comes out in many different ways, but but, uh, all of it, in a sense, is, is a way to protect ourselves from the accusation that we are racist. Uh, and in doing that, in protecting uh, America from that, and, and, and so even admitting to it, um, we exit, white guilt becomes a power. Uh, well, what kind of power? Uh, you can take any area of American life you want. Let's look at education, uh, the DUI programs, um, that, that now flourish in American education, uh, that, that kind of policymaking um, puts America in a, in a, a situation where it, it uh, puts us in a situation where we're, we're not really solving the problem of race. We're really buying innocence from that history, that ugly uh, history of racism. And so today, after 70 years of great society programs, blacks are farther behind than they were uh, back in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, we've, we've completely failed to develop uh, to a competitive level with others in society, uh, yet the country spent trillions of dollars uh, on programs designed to do that. Uh, well, uh, let, let me pause you. Let me pause you on that, and I'll come back to Eli in a second because I just wanted to think about the other side of that or the shoe on that other foot. 
of this uh, walking problem, uh, Dr. Steele, Professor Steele, because well, you have the guilt foisted upon one part of the population. Does it at the same time, if I remember your writings correctly, I think the answer is yes, but I'll let you answer it. Does it at the same time relieve the other group of people of certain social, moral, or civic responsibilities or accountabilities? Um. Well, I think it it is it may be intended to do that. Okay. Uh, that that is, I'm sure, offered as as an intention. Um, but what it what it does is gives it gives people. Uh, I wish I could tell a little story that, that make, makes it a little bit clearer. Somebody the other the other day from Washington, a congressman, asked me to join in an effort. Uh, to look at, re- at reparate, the issue of reparations. Yes, sir. Well, here, boy, uh, that issue has sort of lurk, lurked around for a good, a good while. Uh, well, why? Uh, well, if whites can sign, if I'm white and I sign on to reparations, yes, that'd be a wonderful thing, and uh, blacks would develop and so forth. Uh, and so I'm, I'm all for it. And, they, and we get it. Well, if the great society is any indication of what happens at that point, is that blacks then be, believe that they are, that they have to that their dependency moves in, and blacks believe that they have to uh, support this program uh, in order to to move ahead in American life. And so, what happens is that whites become the the force. And the policy is one that does nothing to really develop blacks, but it gives white Americans can say, look, we gave you reparations. Enough is enough. Uh, and, uh, and there we are. Well, race relations have, have, I think, come down to that. Yeah. But we see it on a much broader level now, uh, and the level of policymaking, where white guilt causes us to uh, lower test scores uh, for admissions into universities if you're black, um, all sorts of, uh, of politically correct and woke. And wokeism is an outgrowth of white guilt uh, that maybe people are familiar with. Sure, and it perpetuates a cycle of victimology. Let me take a quick commercial break. I have to do that. Let me pick up on that with both of you when we come back. And I want to ask Eli this story of what happened to you guys when you were filming in the San Francisco area as well most recently. Folks, you want to learn more about or help out with the White Guilt documentary, you can go to Eli Steele's uh, Substack, Man of Steel, manofsteel.substack.com. Be right back. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As I said, what a wonderful honor to have uh, these two wonderful men on the show with me. Uh, Professor Shelby Steele, Dr. Shelby Steele, author of White Guilt, among other books, The Content of Our Character, and so many others. His son, Eli Steele, a uh, documentary, uh, documentarian and filmmaker. They're working on a documentary on the book White Guilt, and taking it forward. Eli, tell the story, if you don't mind, of uh, the kind of greeting you got when you guys went into San Francisco, because there's a related element to all of this. You uh, you didn't have such a good time there, as I recall. Yeah, it was, um, it was crazy. We were um, filming in San Francisco on top of Lombard Street, which is the famous um, Curvy Road. 
And um, he was JP wall. We were going shopping. My father walking through the street. So we literally parked the SUV in the middle of, in the middle of the block. We walked through the corner, and while we were filming on the corner, um, a Chevy Blazer, black Chevy Blazer, came up, and within a minute, they sold about um, forty five thousand dollars worth of equipment. <laughs> Incredible. And, yeah, and uh, at first I thought it was like fifteen thousand because I saw the camera misty. Yeah. That reali- yeah, that realized. Oh no, they got this gear bar. There's like two gear boxes, a couple of tripods, uh, and, and so forth. Like a, a memory card is about $500. So we should add everything up. It was crazy. Um, but what was, what was even more disappointing was that there was absolutely no response from the police. No, the people in the city were defeated. They had given up. And they were just like, well, that sucks for you. Yeah. And yeah, and um, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was demoralized, dude. I, I grew up going to the city. And I remember San Francisco being a very, um, you know, upbeat, positive city. And to see how it's been so defeated, um, it really states everything. And I think a lot of it also relates to the film of sure. White Guild. Yep. White Guild, because all these policies are pretty, and, you know, um, they come and get away. San Francisco does not allow any much shot of the individual to be displayed. Right. Because, yeah, because obviously they may tend to be more black or something like that. That's probably the idea behind it. Incredible. And so, yeah, so you see the whole city basically catering to the criminals. Yeah. Dr. Steele, if you would make that connection, too, as well, that bridge for us, too, the thesis of white guilt and how it has led to, uh, shall we say, the destruction, really. I mean, there's no other word for it, degeneration of cities like San Francisco. Yes. Yeah, so white guilt, one of the things that, that has happened in America that is a result of our, our racial history uh, is this vulnerability that whites have to the, the accusation that they're racist and therefore an almost blind, uh, devoted effort to appease blacks, to lower standards, to ask less, to... Uh, because what we're, what what whites are looking for is is proof, evidence, superficial though it may be, uh, of their innocence of racism, and so that that becomes the goal. So when they they break in and rob us, uh, uh, the, there are no police around. Uh, America has gotten to the point where it is, it sells out its standards, its principles. That, that have been and worked so well for so long, made us a great nation. So we sort of sell that out to claim innocence. Uh, I just slip in just for the because I think it makes the point. Uh, I think Donald Trump, part of his appeal, a good part of his appeal, is that he is anti-white guilt. He is. He is the. He's not going to. He's not going to do that. He's not going to slowly rip America apart, uh, grind away at the principles that that make us great, um, and so, or at least that's how he's perceived. And I think that white guilt is in that sort of reverse way serving him very well. Uh, those you 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 run for office today, I think other without that connection that anti-white guilt connection, 
and you, you, it's an uphill climb. Uh, I, I, I was reading. I was reading a review, uh, Professor Steele. I guess there's a new Netflix documentary out on Baird Rustin, someone I have, I've, uh, whose work I knew. You may have known him, for all I know. Yes, I did. Know. Yeah, I did know. Him. I bet you did. And it seems to me he's kind of a pivot point of the two directions race relations could have gone in this country post 1968. His, yours, wasn't the winning one at least yet. Fair enough. Right. Right, that's very true. Um, there are positive signs today that that may be changing. I, I hope it is. Um, I see now blacks twenty percent, twenty two percent, twenty four percent support uh, support Trump. Um, well, again, whatever one may think about Trump, uh, he is not someone who is who is going to accommodate uh, policies designed to facilitate white guilt. To, to protect whites from some innocence. The great challenge America faces today, it seems to me, is to get over its hang-up with the past and its idea of itself as a fundamentally racist uh, nation. Yeah. I think this, the striking thing about American life today, is, and I speak as someone who grew up in a segregated America, mm-hmm. uh, yet today there simply is no racism to stop me from doing whatever I want to do in American life. Yep. This has never been the case before, but it is an, it is an enormous human achievement. Uh, and uh, and we've, if we don't acknowledge it, then we, we can't move on. We can't benefit. We keep trying to pull us back and fight yesterday's war over racism. Well, racism is dead. There was a caller to uh, Dennis Prager's show today to challenge him when Dennis said, I don't believe America is a systemically racist country. And this caller said, well, when you look at black home ownership and you look at black income and you know the list, you look at black incarceration rates, how can you say that? How would you answer that, Dr. Steele? I would answer that by saying we, we as, as blacks, felt we, we, when we finally got into freedom in the 60s, uh, we had a chance to do everything, and and uh, we have uh, um, we simply we simply let down uh, our our own self esteem, our own dignity, and become. We knew whites were vulnerable. Whites, are, you can you know they're, they're an easy take, uh, and so we we decided to base our future. In not in identifying with America and moving and developing and moving ahead, but in, in pressing on white guilt to give us all manner of social programs and, and so forth. So we got a great society, war on poverty, uh, school and the great uh, busing, uh, on and on. None of it worked. Well, the moment I heard the moment I heard that you guys were doing a documentary and I read about it with your son's reportage from what took place in San Francisco, I knew I wanted to get you on before the end of the year. So, folks, if you want to uh, help out the Steels uh, and this documentary come to fruition, White Guilt, go to Eli Steele's uh, Substack. You can learn more about it, manofsteel.substack.com. Our nation is grateful to both of you, gentlemen as I am. Thank you both, and Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah. I'm not even going to play this game because <laughs> I'll get it wrong. Casey. Yes. Okay. Win, win, win. <laughs> right. ding, 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 ding. 
You made a startling observation a couple breaks ago. By the way, God bless the Steels. Shelby, I can't tell you how important his work has been, and I'm getting to know Eli's as a documentarian. Um, anyway, you said, when I said Felice, Felice Navidad, Jose Feliciano yes. is still alive, we were a little surprised because he's been with us since what we thought was God's childhood. <laughs> you said, yes. I can make it even more frightening. Tell I the audience what you told me. You say that Jose Feliciano is still alive. And yeah. So I go on Wikipedia and I'm like, oh boy, I'm expecting him to be 109 years old and very, very decrepit and, you know, just hanging on to, to life just like Ray Anthony. <laughs> but instead, I find out that he's younger than our president. <sighs> Jose Feliciano is younger than Joe Biden. Yep. God, save us. Save us. Save us. Joe Biden was born during World War II. Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, Feliciano, he's blind, right? If I'm not mistaken? I don't know. I think so. His personal life, yeah. I think he is. I think so. And... uh, Eli yeah, makes no right, yeah. bones about it either. Eli him, uh, Steele, uh, there's been a lot written up on him. He's he's a uh, he's a hero too. He works as a documentarian in film and pushing a lot of uh, his own stuff and his dad's stuff. He he suffers from deafness, so you know what people can do. You know what people can do with the challenges they have. Incredible. Let me go to uh, Doug in Maricopa. Hello, Doug. How the heck are you, Seth? Oh, I'm fine. It's nice to hear your voice, sir. I appreciate it. Same with you, excepting I get the gift of being able to drop in and uh, listen most afternoons while I'm busy working. So, um, I'm what, are you, what are you working on these days? Something fun? Something good? Something beautiful? Something enriching and ennobling? Usually you are. <laughs> yeah, usually. I'm, uh, of course, being a professional painter, we painting for a large show uh, in a number of collectors. And uh, so I, I got the gift to sit in my st- our studio and look out onto, into the woods and a lot of beautiful things and get to spend my time on this earth uh, painting beauty. And so I, yeah. I'm a very blessed man. Yeah. Did I ever tell you the story of that Orthodox rabbi I asked how he knows there's a God? Did I ever tell you that story? Uh, no, years ago, years and years ago, I asked an Orthodox rabbi who was giving a talk on. Um, he was giving a talk on the integration of uh, science and theology, and I mm-hmm. went up to him uh, as a young, I was a young, younger guy then, obviously, and I said to him, "How how do you actually know there's a God?" You know what he said? He said, "I think you'll like this as a painter, Doug." He said, um, "I know there's a God because." We have to live in a world. We exist. We have to live in a world. It didn't have to be beautiful. Don't you love that? Yep. Don't you I love that? I absolutely love and that. You, get, I, you made me yeah. think of it when you said you get to paint God's beauty, you know? You get to paint God's and, beauty. And that's probably why, you know, I worked with my uh, dear sweet wife. You've actually years ago talked to my daughter. She's a professional artist. We always joke that between the three of us all in one family, we're like the Van Trapp family of art and all professionals. <clears throat> but one of the reasons I chose the landscape is I grew up a boy in Wisconsin, <clears throat> spending my mornings riding my horse through the wood, well, in the woods, and I would watch the sunset or the sunrise before you know before I went to high school and stuff. 
And I fell in love with the expressions of God's creation. So I paint the landscape as one would remember it. And and trying to stir the soul with the beauty of that's really all around us. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm guessing you probably, if you don't know the quote, you intuitively engage it. It's a wonderful yeah. line from uh, Chariots of Fire where Eric Liddell says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I bet when you paint, you feel God's pleasure. Huh? I, I feel the gift of God's pleasure all the time. Let me do this. Um, none I, of none yeah. of this is why you called. I have to take a break. You've been patient. Can you hold just a bit longer? We'll come back to your point oh, oh, of sure. point of, um, yeah, no problem. point of actual concern <laughs> when we come <laughs> right back. <clears throat> Oh, this is tough. Oh, just wait. Let me see if let me see if Doug knows. I can't figure this out. Doug, can you tell me who's singing this? You no, know, I cannot. But I tell you, I'm tapping my toes. Yeah. All right, that's enough, young David. Is it Waylon Jennings, perchance? No, this huh. is from the 1972 Carter Cash Family Christmas TV special. Well, they may have had uh, one. They may have had Waylon in there. No, it was actually a Johnny. Oh, it was all Carters. It was all Carters and Cash. It sounded like a Johnny Young. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we were in the right genre. We were in the right neighborhood. Anyway, Doug, you called on another issue altogether. Go ahead, sir. Well, you know, this is probably something I brought up before. But I felt a need to do it again, having watched the last few debates, of which I feel quite, you know, becoming kind of useless anymore. But I, you know, I have some real strong opinions about the administration. How should I say the um, more moderate Republicans or the people, the anti-Trumpers? And my whole argument is we've tried their way for 40 years and we've of placating kindness and everything, and we've lost all the institutions. And I, I, I sound pretty vehement about that, and I do that at our Republican meetings around here as well. You know, yeah. But here, here's here's the thing. This is but there's a point at which what we have to remember as Republicans and conservatives is these. This is like a family discussion. You know. How are we going to approach a project? What's the best way to approach the project? And we can do this with all kinds of passion. And you can tell sometimes I almost sound like I'm going to start shouting. I'm not. It's just very passionate uh, being an artist. I express myself that way. <clears throat> but when it comes down to it, I what discourages me the most is not the one way or the other. You know, I always figure that's an ongoing discussion and battle. It's the willingness of our side to turn away from each other if we don't get our way. Mm-hmm. And, and this is when, when, when you think about the great points in history throughout our nation, when many times we might be somewhat divided <clears throat> and everybody going about their own way. At great points in history, when it's needed for our nation, we've all come together. Yeah. In national threats, yeah. and all the little fights become very superfluous and meaningless at that point. And I think we have to have that mindset here. Yeah, we are no longer in the eighties yeah. when Democrats and Republicans were so much farther to the right. 
we are at a very kind of an inflection point where we're going to be what we've been or we're going to lose our soul. And we need to hold tight to each other. So if it's an establishment person, we have to fight with all our passion, not just go to vote, but I mean fight with all our passion. And if it's a Trump, if I hear the word never Trumper, I am in their face talking about their lack of belief in their country. You cannot say you're a patriot. You cannot say you're a conservative. If you go home and pout, that's no different than a Democrat voting, you know, if you don't vote. So I think we got to hold to each other and realize that as Republicans, we go forward and, and win or as divided, we can fail. Um you almost could have ghostwritten. I don't know. Did you see my piece in town hall this week? I wrote a piece right on this no. point. Uh, no, no, I no, I didn't. Yeah, if you just put my name in Google or whatever, follow, yeah. check, check, check. Okay, I'm gonna. Do yeah, that you'll find you, okay. it'll come right up. What? Huh? Yeah. Don Twix. Yeah, or Twix. Yeah, just go straight to Google. Whatever your search engine is, Seth Liebson and uh, townhall.com or. Uh, okay. t- uh, Arizona okay. Republicans. It's called Arizona, Rep- the Republican Party and its discontents. I was kind of playing off Sigmund Freud there because of the psychosis that seems to be running through too many of our movement people. But let me let me let me focus on the other side for a minute on something you said because you said that the nation comes together in extremists in times of great crisis and. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, you said, kind of a national reuniting. There's a national, uh, how did you put it, a national unification. And all mm-hmm. of that has been true because of the predicate you kept using, the word nation and national. And we have up until now had that. And this mm-hmm. is my great concern. Once the next crisis comes upon us, um, are we still one nation? Uh, do we still have a national pride? Do we still have a national feeling? Do we still have a unity of purpose here? The answer I would mm-hmm. submit is that we do not, or that we are no. fast degrading it to the point of a nullity. And that is my concern. That is my yeah. concern. We were all in this together in COVID. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We were all in this together. We couldn't wait to yeah. pit person against person quickly enough. We were all in this together after after any number of after after a perfectly reasonable 2020 election we were excuse me a perfectly reasonable 2016 election we were we were yeah. we were one nation and we came together and we realized okay uh peaceful transfer of power one nation is going to submit to uh the governance that took place after a duly elected republican became elected as a republican are you kidding me the cries yeah, of fascist yeah. and all the rest came out for four mm-hmm. years. Fraud, four yeah. years, only to be turned around again in the other direction four years later. I don't—two national anthems? What's yeah. the point of yeah. a national—you can't have two national anthems if you're a nation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Boy, I tell you, you're spot on there. And I think you're—thank you for pointing this out— I hate, I was trying to stay a little bit more upbeat, but in truth, and I still believe that we have to hold tight to each other because I actually view this, like I said, an inflection point. We are kind of almost in the 1856 time yeah, with Buchanan. I'd say 1859. Oh, that's probably closer to the truth. But we got to that point in history, if you look back, 
because the North tried to accommodate and backpedal, be nice and accommodate and backpedal the South yep. in their demands. They believed in their cause That's and right. pushed fervently for it, and they would not back down, and we were trying to be sweet in that. It's almost a mirror image of how we lost all of the institutions, including now the military. If they did, the left did not take these institutions. We gutlessly, in, very, in a very sweet way, gave it to them. And now we are at this point. But the further we get down this way, and there will be a choice. And we will be forced to make a choice. That will have to happen or it will be lost. Amen. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Anarchy is loosed upon the world. And uh, the ceremony of innocence is drowned. Why? Because of what you said. The best lack all conviction. Why the worst are full of passionate intensity. Thank you, Doug. Stephen Eady? Well, what other name comes to mind when you think of Christmas music? Yeah, the gourmets. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put in a word for our sponsors at Y-Refi. It's a great company with uh, an investment that has a ton of flexibility where you're in total control. You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it. There are absolutely no fees. There is no attack on principal if you ever need your money back. You get a monthly statement with no surprises. It is a secure and collateralized portfolio where you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. Why Refi is based here locally. Their offices are on Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix. You can visit with them. I've been there a number of times, and you'll get no sales pitch, and no one will ask you to sign a thing. They just like talking about what it is that they do and letting that speak for themselves if you don't see them in person, check them out online, investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. Just thinking a little bit about this past hour, starting with the steels and ending with Doug, thinking about the atomization of our society. Are we still one nation? Indeed, probably the biggest question of our time. And a lot of it does have to do with the race issue that the Steels have been um, consumed with for so long, rightfully so. And it does have to do with the two points of departure after 1968. I had mentioned Baird Rustin. Um, evidently, there's this Netflix documentary out on him, two-part uh, documentary. I saw a review of it, not very good, um, because it was, I think, produced by Barack Obama. Um but uh, Baird Rustin was, you know, the one, the one last big figure in the civil rights movement. He, he organized the 63 March with Martin Luther King, who tried to maintain the colorblind notion of Martin Luther King's while the Stokely Carmichaels and the other inheritors of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee went in a different direction. Uh, Baird Rustin wrote, quote, the new racist equates the pathology of the poor with race. Ignoring the fact that family dissolution, teenage pregnancy, illegitimacy, alcohol and drug abuse, street crime and idleness are universal problems of the poor. They exist wherever there is economic dislocation, among the white jobless of Liverpool as well as among unemployed blacks in New York. It was not a race. These things are not race-based. I don't even know that they're economic-based, but they're certainly not race-based. They're morally and, deprav and, 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 depri and depri deprivation based on a different level, not economic. 
not economic, moral. All right, Sam Stone's coming up. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 